0: Welcome, welcome, everyone. We are so excited that you guys are here. We have a guest that has been on our show before, but is back today. And we're going to talk just a little bit deeper of her story because it was so profound and so just unbelievable. And today I have Jacqueline Franchetti, and she is the mom of Kira Franchetti. And I'm just going to turn over the time to you and, and let you share what your story is all about, and, and we'll just go from there.
1: Sure. I love talking about my daughter, Kira. She was a silly, giggly, happy toddler. She was fiercely independent. I do it, Mama. I do it, is what she would always say. She loved Elmo and Mickey Mouse. She loved bubbles, blowing them and catching them. She used to play in the parks and on the swings. She wanted to go fast, Mama, Go fast. And on the slides, she, she was a daredevil. She wanted to go down head first. And I was always running after her to make sure she was safe. We used to play soccer in our driveway at night and she was, Kira was really good. My gosh, she was two years old, but she was sinking each shot right into the net. I was super proud of her. <laughs> and she had the most beautiful blonde hair And blue eyes that would just melt your heart. She made friends everywhere. I wasn't known as Jacqueline when she was alive. I was known as Kira's mom because everybody knew Kira. Everybody loved Kira. And the last day I had with her, she had just learned to roll down a hill. And she was so proud of her latest accomplishment. And after she rolled down like two, three times, she looked at me and she goes, I did it, Mom, I did it. And I gave her this big hug. And that was, The way that she approached every single day. And she was, she was my everything, which Mm -hmm. is why three years ago, the most awful thing happened. When Kira was 28 months old, her biological father shot her twice in the back while she slept. He then proceeded to pour gasoline all over his house and he killed himself. And he did it as a form of revenge against me. We were going through a custody case in Nassau County Family Court, which is in New York State on Long Island. And he wanted to inflict the most amount of damage possible on me. And to leave me here in a world without Kira was the way that he chose to do so.
0: So tell me a little bit about what, you, what was your family life like, you know, in this household with him? So, You know, I know you had left, but you dealt with a lot beforehand. So what was that like? Tell us a little bit about what your life was like before. When we first
1: started dating, he was, I I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for anyone nicer, quite frankly. And this is what abusers do to reel you in. They do something called love bombing, which means that they are constantly there, constantly giving you attention They are manipulating you from the moment, and you don't realize it at the time, which is why these people go from being wonderfully charismatic people to monsters. And we don't see what's happening out in plain sight. The mask comes off when the door is closed. And so, for the first six months, everything seemed to be wonderful. And then all of a sudden, things started to change. And at first, I would just associate it, well, Some of this is male, female, Mars, Venus. And I started to make excuses for it rather than see these as red signs, which is unfortunately what a lot of women do. But the math started to slowly come off more and more. And as it became, you know, he was gaslighting me and, I mean, rocking my own sense of what is real and what isn't. And abusers are master manipulators, and they do it in a way that is so cunning that it rocks your world, and you really don't know what's up or what's down anymore. We went through a series of breakups, which is also very common in domestic violence and family violence relationships, because I would get to the point that it was so intolerable, I would end it. But then the next week and the following week, he would call me and say he was sorry, That and he would say everything that you'd want to hear. He was wrong. He was taking things in the wrong way. I was, he was upset with work, and he was taking it out on me. And you go back as a result. And after doing this six, seven, eight, nine times, Donna, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time when we first started dating. And I left and went back to New York because I was a shell of who I used to be. And then he reengaged me yet again. And we started dating long distance. And that is when I got pregnant with Kira. And I realized that, you know, I didn't get out of the relationship to because of me, I got out of the relationship to save her. I left when I was about six weeks pregnant. And after I gave him an ultimatum where he either needed to get better and see someone and find out what the root of his anger and his issues were, or we were going our separate ways. And when I told him that, he told me not to put his name on the birth certificate and to leave him out of it completely. Wow. And I'm prepared to to honor that request Mm -hmm. if that was the way that he felt. And it wasn't until she was born that, you know, there were a couple of times during the pregnancy when I begged him to, there were studies tests that the doctors wanted to run and he refused to do any of them. And it wasn't until she was born that we really spoke again. And he showed up in my hospital room. And he proceeded to cuss me out, blame me that this was all my fault. And to the point where I asked him to leave and made sure that I had engaged security to make sure that he had left the building.
0: So you said he was, well, obviously emotionally abusive because he was saying so many things to you after the fact. You just had this baby and he's in the hospital room yelling, screaming. screaming. Wow. So did he actually physically hit you before that?
1: He did not physically hit me, but what he would do was make sure that I was so intimidated and scared to the point where I was shaking. Okay. He was much taller than me, much larger than me. He would cower over me and scream at me and you know, to the point where you are shaking like a leaf and you are scared to the point that you're terrified.
0: Right. So he didn't physically like put his hands on you, but yet the abuse was so, I mean, I want people to see that, you know, they don't have to physically like harm you or bruise you necessarily to be abusive. There are, I mean, anger and things to where you're so afraid that they will do something that Mm -hmm. you are just afraid for your life. There was no doubt in my mind that he would
1: do something eventually. Mm-hmm. And he had threatened constantly, you'll be sorry, you'll be sorry, you'll be sorry. You know, he's also, as many of the, especially the child murderers, they are not people that, these are smart people. These are, for example, he was working for General Dynamics and he was working at the CIA. He's a very smart man. Wow. And by the way, he used that skill set also to torture me. You know, he was certainly cyber hacking and going into my things. He was listening to phone calls. He was capable of doing all of those things, and he did do all of those things. Wow. He wanted to make sure he scared the living Jesus out of me on a daily basis. He would use the courts as a way to, you know, weaponize and and direct his attacks at me. I would get by email, eight to 10 emails a day, long emails, that if I didn't respond to within 24 to 48 hours, he would use as a means that I was withholding information and to try to rip Kira from my care and take her away so that he could be the residential custodian rather than me. Hmm. I was fighting every single day to make sure that Kira was safe every single day. Wow.
0: So let's go to the, the moment when now you're in court and they're giving him partial custody of her. Is, is that what I understood? And so she had, he had her half the time. They gave him visitation. They didn't, we had, our
1: custody trial would have actually been in October and he murdered her in July. Okay. But they did give him unsupervised access. And as you're going through the family court system today, it is backwards and upside down. You cannot go in and scream from the treetops that he is going to hurt her. If you do, they will use that as a weapon against you to take your child away. As soon as you label the other as a domestic violence offender, they will slam you with something called parental alienation. And they were trying to bill me as a quote unquote alienator so they could have cure removed from my care. And when you look at all these cases and why, the 50, why there's 58,000 children each year who are turned over to an abusive parent, a dangerous parent, one who's physically, sexually, or emotionally abusing them, it's because we're using junk science out there, something called parental alienation, as a way and a mechanism to rip children away from a safer, protective parent and give them to the abuser and this needs to change. That's one of the reasons why our family court system needs to be using the ACE study, which is from from the CDC. This is the gold standard of research. It it has a huge, huge study and actually gives a system to rank where they fall. And that's what we need to be using going forward.
0: Mm, I agree with you. Um, So there are, I believe last we talked, there were 700 and 18 children that have been killed yes. sadly that just blows my mind now when kira was 530 and this was in 2016 yeah so here we are 3 a little over 3 years later and we have
1: almost 200 more children who have been
0: that that just blows my mind that right there i'm just like oh my goodness that is just too many kids So tell us what you're trying to do to stop that from happening to all these other children.
1: Two things that I really am focusing on, number one, raising awareness, and number two, legislative changes. Mm. In terms of raising awareness, people are not aware of how bad the situation is. And there's a distinct difference between, by the way, mad and bad when you go into family or divorce court. Mad settles outside of court. Family court is not a place where you want to be it is not a nice place by any stretch of the imagination. And what stays in family court, 70% of the cases, 75%, excuse me, of the cases that are in family court right now have domestic violence attached to them. And the judges and the family court system is treating, are treating these as the exceptions and not the norm. And we need to change that mindset around that, which why raising awareness is so key and so critical. In New York state alone, In the last three years, since Kira's been murdered, there have been 15 children who've been murdered by a mom or a dad while going through our family court system. 15, including Kira. That's way too many. And we can change that. Nationally, there's 58,000 children each year who are court-ordered to be in the home of a mom or dad who's physically, sexually, or emotionally abusing them. Those numbers are astronomical and need to change. That means today, in the United States, there's over half a million children who are scared to go home. We can do so much better. And according to the American Judges Association, over 70% of cases where there's abuse alleged, alleged the abusers are gaining custody. This, this is jaw-dropping. This is a national epidemic and things need to change. And this is why I personally work on legislative changes. So I've been very fortunate to be part of something called h Res 72. This passed a little over a year ago in the last congressional session in the United States House of Representatives. It was supported, it was bipartisan support. It was led by a Republican congressman named Peter Sessions, who's from Texas, who took an wonderful leadership role here. He took this out and led it forward. It was also supported by a Democratic congresswoman, Carolyn Maloney, from New York. And we had strong bipartisan support. Now, if you think back and dial back to Congress you know a year ago, it was complete chaos. <laughs> I've been on Capitol Hill talking to, to legislators during the Rosenstein hearings. It passed during Kavanaugh hearings. I mean, this is a crazy, chaotic congressional, you know, what's going on in Congress right now. But they were able to see the, des- the desperate need for change here. And we had such wonderful support. From so many different states. But what the congressional resolution did is it sends a message to the states and it asks them to do three things, three critical things that are game changers and can protect our children going forward. And it's following number one, to make child safety the top priority in custody and divorce cases. This is something that's common sense, but it's not employed. Number two, make sure everyone is properly trained. The training for our judicial system for our divorce and family court system is completely subpar, and we can change this. And it's a low-cost spend, by the way. And number three, we need to use the best research. We need to be embracing the CDC study. It's called the ACE study, the adverse childhood events. We need to employ that to assess family trauma and childhood trauma going forward. We do those, and we make that happen in all 50 states, and this is a game changer, and this will help to keep children safe tomorrow.
0: I'm just curious, have you made, have you been able to make any of those changes in any of the states thus far? There are a number of states that are looking at this. New York State, which is where I am, Mm -hmm. I'm very,
1: very thankful, is taking a very close look at this right now. I was just asked last month to be a speaker at a hearing for the New York State Assembly, and they're specifically looking at these three areas, child safety, training, and the research and what's being employed and how we can better protect our children going forward. I'm very hopeful that we'll start to see some things happen in New York very soon. Other states, I know are looking at it as well. I think we're at, and finally at the cusp where people see that things need to change and do this in a simple way, in a way that's going to protect children. Look, child safety is not complicated. We can do this by doing a few
0: things. I agree with you. I agree. And I love, and, and, you know, I know it hasn't really been that long yet. So, you know, to see that there are some that they're looking at it and at least saying, okay, maybe we need to make some changes here and through this and through awareness and, you know, these podcasts and things like this as well, being able to just share your story and let people know that this is a problem. This is a big problem and we need to help change the the legislation and the rules and the regulations that they have, these stipulations on it. So I would like to know what others can do to kind of help in support for this. Mm-hmm. I know you have a foundation that you have set up for this as well. Tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing there. Absolutely.
1: And I'm I'm very thankful. We've had wonderful response and reactions from the community, and, and and that just means the world to me. I have set up something called the Kira Franchetti Foundation. It's obviously in memory of my amazing, wonderful daughter Kira, and what we're trying to do is raise awareness and set up education programs. And we're going to be piloting our first program. It should be launching next year. And it's to really have people understand the dynamics behind family violence so they can better talk about it and articulate it to others. We live in a world, especially with family violence, where so much of it happens behind closed doors that we're scared to talk about it. And some people, quite frankly, one one of the reasons why I can talk about it is because I'm still alive. If I'd still be going through our family court system, I wouldn't be able to talk about it because there could be repercussions from the judge or for someone else. We need to make it so that we can talk about this in a way that even though it's painful and it's not pleasant to talk about, we need to bring light to it. And that's the only way that we can start to to get rid of family violence.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, I really appreciate you coming forward, sharing your story. I know that the listeners are probably wondering where you're at now in your life. I know that you're doing these foundations and things like that. Are you moving forward in your life with, do you have any other kids? I I know these are things that people are probably thinking about where is she at in her life right now? So are you in another relationship? Are you moving forward with kids or is that not uh, an option right now?
1: Yeah. First of all, it, everything that I had to do was after Kira was murdered was I had to rebuild myself. Mm -hmm. That was not an easy thing to do. That was a Herculean effort that I took on to make sure that I could laugh again without crying, that I could smile again, that I could see pictures of her and videos of her and not break down. I had to really rebuild everything about myself and very proud to say that I was able to do that. It took a lot. Of work, and you know, I'm. I know you're a fan of Tony Robbins, as am I. And I took many of his principles forward. And I was at a wonderful, wonderful program called Date with Destiny. And I'm sure Donna, you've heard of it, and people oh, who are in, in the Tony Robbins world have also heard of this. And Date with Destiny was a game changer for me, and I'm extremely fortunate to have had it. And I'll tell you a little bit about my Date with Destiny story. I showed up there and it was five months after Kira had been murdered. And I distinctly remember I wrote down what would be my goal for, for this. And the only reason why I signed up for date with destiny, by the way, was because it was between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I knew that would be an extremely difficult time for me. And I wasn't sure how I was going to approach the holidays, what I was going to do and I've been to one of his other programs and people jump around and they're happy and you leave feeling good. And I was like, well, that's great. You know what? I'm going to go for six days jumping around. And if I get a couple things out of it, wonderful. And it made me face some of the darkest moments and face the harsh reality of living in a world without Kira. And, you know, when I got there day one, I was placed on a team called number 27, which is when you get your name tag, all you get is the number. And I showed up there and the team name was Firebirds. And every team has a chant. And our team chant was called light, light, light it up. We're going to light it up. And Donna, I almost doubled over. Because after he murdered her, he says, have some fire. And And then to boot, they give out bandanas And the bandanas that they gave out are with flames on them. And after every, you know, we did this whole team meeting and everyone's getting pumped up for the next five days ahead. And I hang behind and I go up to the Tony Robbins trainers. And I said, my name's Jacqueline. And I started to just try to, while I was crying, to read through to them that, you know, this has happened to me. And and they all of a sudden looked at me and they go, we know we've read your pre-work. And I'm like, well, after they murdered her, I said, look, they set fire to the house. And all of a sudden I could see all their eyes light up and go, oh my God, this, and I'm like, the fire is going to be pretty traumatic for me. And they said, don't worry about it. We're going to figure this out. And I'm like, can you just move me to a different team? I'll, I'll be great. You know, just put me on the Wolverine team or whatever team, the wild cards, whatever team you want to put me on, put me on something else and I'll continue on. And I get a text the next morning to show up early. And I did. And I fully expected to be moved over to another group. And they looked at me and they said, you're going to have to learn how to deal with fire. It's part of life. We're not moving you, but we are going to change the chant. And Donna, I almost doubled over.
0: Mm.
1: And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I think it's until tomorrow where I can still get a refund.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're still in the back of your mind. Oh, my goodness. I don't know about this. Well, You know, after
1: we're having our team meeting in a few minutes, we want you to speak. Would you speak about it and give them the two minute version? And I went, Oh my God. Okay. And I did. And right after I spoke, they changed the chant. And that moment was very powerful for me because by me telling Kira's story, it created a ripple effect and because they changed the chant, it showed me not just the power of changing the chant, but by telling her story, I could change things. Mm. And what I've done since that to help me survive and help me move forward, not move on, move forward, like we've talked about, you know, I've told her story because what happened to Kira can happen to someone you know or someone you love. Mine was I'm not an outlier, I'm not an isolated incident or isolated story. This can easily happen to someone you know and love. And through the Kira Franchetti Foundation, I get calls, emails, PMs all the time. Just last night, I was on the phone with a parent who is scared to death for their daughter and was asking me, "No, I do not give legal advice at all. That's not what we do. If you need legal advice, please go to your local domestic violence shelter. They are our domestic violence um, organization. They're the ones who can give you on the ground legal advice. But she was asking me for some statistics to include in her, in her emergency filing. And that I certainly would help with. But I get stories for people. And even, you know, I went to the doctor's office last week and the nurse came into the room and said, thank you for speaking up because I can't right now. I'm scared to death for my five-year-old daughter.
0: Mm. The case, So you're allowing other women to be able to speak up as well. And, and men
1: empowered. Too. And men,
0: this is not. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, we don't want to exclude the men. It's true. It it happens both ways. So absolutely. And I just commend you for doing what you're doing and making this difference. It is so powerful. And I know that you're going to just really do some great things and, and have some great changes because of this. And You know, Kara's death will not be in vain. It's going to be something that has helped make this world a better place. And if we can do that, we can make this not okay, but at least it will help others from having to suffer as you suffered. And so I just really appreciate you for that and for sharing your story. It's amazing. And thank you. Thank you. I, I just hope that those of you that are listening will go to the Kira Vingetti. Yes. Kira
1: is spelled K-Y-R-A. So she spelled like Kira Sedgwick, which is actually who I named her after.
0: That's actually a good, we should, we should spell that for the viewers or the listeners so that they could uh, be able to get there. Yeah. So Kira is spelled K-Y-R-A.
1: I did name her after Kira Sedgwick because I think that Kira Sedgwick is just an amazing human being. And, Adore her. And then my last our last name is Franchetti, and that's F-R-A-N-C-H-E-T-T-I foundation. And if you go to kirafranchetti.org, that's our website.
0: Oh, perfect. Thank you so very much, Jacqueline, for sharing your story today. And who knows, maybe we'll have you back and do a follow-up to see what's happening and and what's going on from here. So thank you like again for being a part of our show. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now, and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow.